Hello and welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Sean. And I'm Brian. How you doing, Brian? I'm okay. What about you, Sean? I'm super as always. I'm almost fully healthy again. Yes, you've... Except I'm on a serious come down at the moment. You've been through the gauntlet. I've run the gamut from A to B. A to B F I. Oh yeah, that's more like it. Yeah. Do you want to tell our listeners what it is that you've been doing for the last couple of weeks? I've been working at the BFI Flair, which is the London LGBT Film Festival. I didn't have a day off for 12 days, but I finally I'm rested again. It's been the last while running around, meeting filmmakers, having a lot of free wine. <laughs> <laughs> staying up very late. Let's just let's just know this is not on taxpayers' expense. Now the free wine comes from no, some other it, slush fund. It comes from our sponsors. <laughs> uh Remy Martin. Uh, I wish it was Remy Martin. Sean, who were the who were the highlights, whether it was films you saw or filmmakers you met? Well, my first shout out goes to Arfi Lamba and Sudsaria for what I think is one of the most interesting films I've seen in a long time, which is Love, which is spelled L-O-E-V, Love, Love. A film that I haven't seen, but I love the filmmakers, Tommy Murphy, who wrote Holding the Man, big shout out to Tommy. Um, and also, um, this episode in particular, um, a special shout out dedication to Stephen Dunn, who is director of Closet Monster, who I had a lovely time getting to know during the festival, and is a... A surprisingly authorial filmmaker for such a young person, and uh, like like the two of us, a bit of a Winona file. And what I told him about the podcast, the first thing he said to me was, "What Winona Ryder films have you done?" Which to me is a sign of a, of a very astute person. <laughs> uh, so, Stephen, this one's for you. Now, Jean, obviously, we have we have done double doses of Winona. I think when we started out doing this podcast, if you had asked me put a gun to my head and said, Brian, list all of Winona's films. I'm not sure that I would have included the film we're about to see because it's just one that has not registered to me as a Winona Ryder film. Well, in retrospect, I don't think it registered much with her either. Do you want to tell our listeners what the film we're about to uh, blast off into is? Well, they've already pressed the button on the podcast uh, so they know... (laughs) But, but just, <laughs> Maybe they were hastily not looking yeah, at in, in case you accidentally press skip or left or right or something. Today, <laughs> we're blinded by acid, maybe <laughs> squirting from an alien life form. Yes, uh, <laughs> today's film is Alien Resurrection, or for uh, for the layperson listening, as Alien 4. Uh, it's with a certain amount of trepidation that I embark on this journey with you, because I know that of all the topics we have ever covered... This set of films, the Alien films, you have really strong and detailed knowledge and opinions. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. And I didn't really realize that until prior to this episode, we did a quick run through of the the films just to kind of recap with Brian what he may have forgotten. Because let's get out of the way. I have seen Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, and I have seen Aliens, directed by James Cameron. Uh, They're hazily, I can remember going to see them in the Oxford Picture House sometime around 2002. I think there was like a weekend where they showed both of these films. And I can remember liking them. I remember isolated moments. I remember performers, performances. But my, my knowledge of the whole alien universe is spotty at best. We we excised it from the recording because it would have been too tedious, but Sean has brought me up to speed 
on kind of what I need to know about the Alien movies that have preceded Alien Resurrection. Well, don't worry, Brian, because I know enough for a few people about these films, so you're in good company. The Alien franchise has a very particular place in my heart because these films, each of them in particular, stood out for some reason. And before I knew the terminology of cinema, it was because they're all auteur films. They are a franchise that is not driven by one director's vision or one writer's vision because each of the Alien films has been directed by a different, very high quality director, right? It's always kind of top-notch hit makers. Um, but the consistent element has not been a writer or director, but a star. Yeah. That star being Sigourney Weaver. Yes, she has been consistent with everything with only the Alien title. And the incredible special effects work by the late... H.R. Giger. Yes. Um, who died only a couple of years ago, actually, if I remember correctly. Did he fall downstairs? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I couldn't say. I think he might have. I just remember him in the in memoriam. He was there with an alien. <laughs> he's he's slipped on some slime. <laughs> but I mean, I think this is fascinating. So, so Sigourney Weaver created this iconic female action heroine, Ripley. When we were talking before, I was recalling that in the first film, Alien, it begins really as an ensemble piece. There's this team on the spaceship, and it's not really clear that Sigourney is going to become our main heroine, right? Yeah, not at all. I mean, in the opening credit sequence, Tom Scared actually gets the, the, the first credit. I wouldn't call it top billing because they're all as, in many ways, as unknown as each other. Well, this was Alien, the original film, was Sigourney's second movie? Second credited movie, is that right? I think so. I think she was in like Annie Hall or something as Alvy's date. And I've seen Annie Hall several times and I still cannot point her out. So as far as I'm concerned, it's her first film. So it's absolutely an amazing arrival for this actress who burst into the scene in this sci-fi action role and really is, like I think, so singular in the sense that she has had this long-running action franchise. Which actually is going to pick up again, and she's in her 60s. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible. Uh, we I think we didn't really do Sigourney justice in our previous episode of Copycat. Or maybe, to put it more No, I think fairly, we did her justice. The, I don't the think film, the film didn't. The film Copycat didn't. So I'm really excited to return to Sigourney in her iconic role of Ripley, and to see how she's paired with another actress, um, Winona. Because the thing that struck me, I think maybe this is what drew me to see the Alien films at the Oxford Picture House, is that I kind of sensed that these were sci-fi movies that you would enjoy if you didn't really like sci-fi or you didn't really like action, which, you know, full confession, I can't think of any other sci-fi movies that I'm particularly keen on. I mean, I don't know why we're together, to be honest. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> because, as Paula Abdul said, opposites attract. Yeah. I'm like a little dancing animated cat, and you're like Paula Abdul. Yeah, that is true. We're both inventors. You know, we both we both had breakdowns on television. You know, there's a lot going on between me and her. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, it, like, it's so interesting because these this they're female-driven films, the alien films, right? Yeah, I mean, they have not just Ripley, but also her her ongoing battle with the alien 
is definitely very much about fertility and birth and motherhood. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, completely, especially the second one. I, <laughs> I was also really struck when you were kind of recapping me on the plot of the Alien movies. Because I have to say, like, I knew the aliens are the bad guys. But when you were reminding me, it really is the first film and to an extent the second film are about a crew of sort of working class space truckers and the conspiracy is revealed to be their employer, right? Their employer sort of sets them up. They're, they're sort of the Halliburton of outer space, right? Oh, that's good. <laughs> they're like, the profit motive means that their employees are expendable. They're the kind of profiteers that Bernie Sanders would have been railing against in the intergalactic elections, right? <laughs> yes. The bankers, <laughs> is that the kind of thing that, that we could say? Is there a, a populist edge, anti-capitalist edge to the alien films as well? In many ways, it's the ultimate nightmare vision of the future because, as far as I'm concerned, Whale and Utani are one of those all-powerful companies that produce everything and mm. that own everything and have a weapons division. And it is like the grossest form of capitalism that is the most exploitative. That you know, Karl Marx's you know space ashes would be would be spinning to know what had happened to the future. It's actually quite scary, you know. And the real villain in the second one, as we mentioned with Paul Reiser, who was a kind of a, an evil yuppie. The, the the villain in the first film is the company from a distance. The fourth film especially, I would say, is one is the most morally ambiguous in terms of who is culpable and who is guilty. Um, it, in the fourth film, which we should mention, is directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, is very European. In many ways, it stands out the most of all the four films in that particular franchise. It was the only one not to be filmed in Pinewood Studios. So, okay, before we turn to watching the film, can you just help place us? Because you were already talking like someone who knows these movies inside out. When Alien Resurrection was announced and it was coming out, obviously, I think everybody agrees that the first two movies were masterpieces of the genre, as well as sort of people who don't like genre pictures appreciated them. Sigourney Weaver got an incredibly rare uh, nomination for an Oscar for a science fiction role. Yeah, which is still unheard of these days. Unprecedented. But am I right in saying that Alien 3, directed by David Fincher, was a bit of a dud? Yeah, partly because they were making a film with no script. They were, they were writing it on a daily basis. It began as a very, very brilliant idea. I used to say, if I ever won the Euro Millions, I'd remake Alien 3. <laughs> um, where, there was a lot of really good ideas in the third one, but it, again, actually, came down to commerce. 20th Century Fox did not like the idea, and they inevitably broke it down into little pieces and, and stuck it to something else. It was sort of a too many cooks, waters down, what was it? I think it was too many, too many accountants, mm. really. Mm. And David Fincher completely disowned the film, and he hates it. Aesthetically, I find Alien 3 very interesting. I find it very interesting in terms of what it could have been. Alien Resurrection, however, is an entirely different beast. So, so I'm just trying to place it in historical context. What year did Alien Resurrection come out? 1997. And do you think the anticipation was high? Were people thinking maybe the franchise will resurrect itself? Well, I mean, it probably was a reboot before we had the term reboot. Mm. However, nothing else came from it. And they went sort of out into Europe to pluck out Jean-Pierre Jeunet to direct it. He'd done, what, like City of Lost Children and Delicatessen, but had yet to do Amelie, yeah. I think. So in many, would... many ways, Amelie was a whopping departure from this yeah. film. 
So he was known for fantastic worlds, special effects, but from a very kind of arty standpoint. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And is it also correct that Alien Resurrection Sigourney had a producing credit on this film? She had a producing credit on Alien 3, and I presume she had one on Alien Resurrection. Of course, the thing about Alien Resurrection is, it's not a secret she died in Alien 3, okay? So Gwenny Weaver is a person who's very dedicated to her franchise, and in a way I really respect her. She said, I am not coming back unless you do it in a way that changes the role. It's not the same performance, it's not the same character. If you have me back, it has to be different. And credit to this film, it's very ambitious in terms of where it brings Ripley. And I gotta be honest, this was the very first Alien film that I saw. Mm. I saw it on TV in about 1998 when I would have put it about nine. And it kind of fucks with you because this is not the way to watch the story in sequence because you're not watching the same character. So when you see her name written in various uh, like descriptions, she's often called Ripley in inverted commas mm. or Ripley 8. Interesting. Okay. And so, obviously, also, they, they brought in another co-lead. They decided to make that another female actress, right? I suppose they could have gone much more traditional and, and had a male hero, but they said there's something about this franchise requires a female hero. And they chose my beloved spiritual sister, Winona. I have to admit... That strikes me as a really weird choice. Well, I mean, she's been in Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands. You know, she can do weird. Yeah, she can do weird. I guess she can do fantastical. I'm just wondering if she can do running around a spaceship with a gun, which I'm assuming there is some of that in this. Yeah. I don't know. It, I, I have to say, like, of all the things that I can picture Winona Ryder doing, that is not high on my list, but maybe I'm going to find out whether she succeeded or failed when we watch the film. Well, let me just say, Winona herself does not think she did very well. Okay. I can say she's probably better than Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but nothing compared to the action-packed adventure of how to make an American quilt. No, no. Um, So, Sean... I'm 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 geared up to go into this film. Is there are there any kind of last things that you think we I and the listeners need to know? Yeah, there are a few things. One, Jean Pierre Genet changed the color of the alien. What? I don't. What was the original color of the alien? Green. No. What? High gloss black. Wait, really? Oh yeah. I pictured as more like a pea green. I don't know what you're thinking of. It must have been all that peyote I was smoking <laughs> at the Oxford Picture House. Uh, do you smoke peyote? I think yeah, I like, think you do smoke it. Maybe you do. Maybe yeah. you do. Well, what do you do? Should I have a joint before we start this? I, I think you should finish the thoughts that you were going to finish, and then we can assess that later. Okay. Uh, and if the DEA is listening, I, I had my earplugs <laughs> in during that one. We're not in the USA. <laughs> okay, so he turned the aliens... Oh, turned them kind of brown... Mm. which gives the film a very shitty quality. Okay. Okay. Anything else, then? This film is very bodily. It reminds me, it's as if they filmed it inside someone's colon. It's very brown. It's very putrefied. It's very European. Now, Brian, I don't know about you, when I, whenever I think of French films, there's always a, there's an, always a kind of an idea of French humour, and it can also be very, very dry, very dry. But when you think of th- films like... Le Cage of Fall. Mm. But one aspect of French humour is French farce. And yeah. bawdiness. 
This is by far the bawdiest of all the alien films. So what you're saying to me is, this is like a French forest taking place in someone's colon. That's a great description of it. Uh, well, I've just put it together... Written by Joss Whedon. I'm putting together two halves of the sentences that you just said. But you'll notice my sceptical eyebrow as if to try and imagine a forest that takes place in a colon. No, this is a French forest in space, but, but, but more, you know, uh, succinctly inside someone's gut. Is it a colon or a semicolon? Oh, it's a colon. <laughs> okay. It's a colon. Okay. Is there anything else? Like, we haven't really talked about the premise, but maybe we'll get to that when we watch it. I assume Ripley somehow is reborn. I assume that... Well, I, what did I say a few minutes ago? I said Ripley in inverted commas or... Or uh, some iteration of Ripley, yeah? Yeah. Comes back. And I assume that Winona is some kind of new character who's mm -hmm. going to have some sort of mission. Are there any other actors I need to know about? Yeah, well, this wouldn't be a broad appeal episode unless there was an actor who had turned up elsewhere. Oh, it's no. not Wayne Knight. Is it Ileana Douglas? Nope. Character actor, male. Not Wayne Knight or George Thunder. Bob Balaban. No, Dan Hedaya. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like Dan Hedaya. Oh, and there's also one actor from the 1980s who's more famous for being the voice of a homicidal doll. I'm assuming it's Chucky. Yeah, Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif is the voice of Chucky. Yeah, Brad Dourif's the voice of Chucky. God, you're full of, of interesting factoids today, Sean. Well, there's all these horror films that you and I can't watch. Ah, <sighs> well... Just be glad that we're watching this. I am very glad. I am going to be quite critical of this film, but for all the right reasons. And I cannot wait to jet off into space with a gestating creature festering inside my body. That's not me, folks, just for the record. No, that's what you may be for dinner, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Hallelujah, it's a resurrection. Yeah. We'll see you later. Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class, number 36706. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're not her. Who am I? You're a thing. A construct. They grew you in a fucking lab. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. I can feel it. Behind my eyes. I can hear it moving. So we have just watched Alien Resurrection. We've journeyed thousands of years into the future. And what do we find? Brian? It seems to me that we find one of our greatest actresses uh, giving a strange, 
interesting performance that can't quite save a film. It seems to me that we find ourselves awash in genre cliches, and yes, Sean, as you predicted, we are also awash in shit. <laughs> Brian, it sounds like something may have crawled on your face and laid an egg between your lungs. What's happened to your voice? Well, Sean, you call me Brian, but am I really Brian, or am I just a new iteration Brian, Brian. 8, perhaps. Yes, uh, I'm afraid watching Alien Resurrection had such a uh, squeam-inducing effect on me that what, I... What, you died? I, 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 somehow, I somehow acquired an illness <laughs> in the time between the time we pressed play and the time we've now pressed record. Ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of... A, a small gap of time has, has elapsed, and I am now ill. Whether or not it has anything to do with uh, Monsieur Junet's film... We'll, we'll leave that for you to decide. Well, we've allowed the juices to fester and grow further organic matter inside the brain. I, I think we should just do the briefest of recaps about the plot. What do you think? Yes, and organic matter is right. I mean, when the, when the credits start rolling, all you can see is sort of pulsating ooze and internal organs. Teeth and hair and slime other matter. And eyes, yes. You know, Jean, before you do the plot, it occurred to me after we saw this film, uh, Dolly the Sheep, the first cloned mammal, I think essentially was around the exact same time this movie came out. I'm not sure whether it was before or after, whether this was prescient or commenting on that story. Well, I think a lot of film and TV at the time dealt with cloning. There was the comedy Multiplicity with Michael Keaton. And there was a big, there was a big plot on the adventures of Superman, Lois, and Clark. Mm. Uh, about that's when I first learned about clones. Uh, I do think cloning was something very topical and used for sci-fi uh, quite regularly in the nineteen nineties. But anyway, back to the plot. So we are on board what starship? The USM Origa. It is, I believe, hundreds of years since Alien Three, and. A medical vessel has cloned the remains of Ellen Ripley, who died on a planet hundreds of years beforehand, in order to extract the alien inside her and, as they claim, use it for science research purposes. Although, as I noted in my notes, they make a big point at the very beginning of saying there's only seven science officers on the ship and there's 42 enlisted military officers. Ooh. Nominally, they're doing this for medical research and vaccines, but really evil General Dan Hedaya with his bug eyes and hairy shoulders. I mean, Dan Hedaya, an actor I respect, is terrible in this film. Clownish. Anyway, anyway before you get into rubbishing the actors... He's, he's, got, a, he's got a plan underway, and, and he needs to clone Ripley in order to do it. Isn't that right? Yeah. Anyway, so once you've cloned the alien, you need hosts in order for the aliens to gestate within. So this is where the rest of the cast come in. They're a... a bunch of space pirate jackass bounty hunter people types who have a cargo they deliver the cargo the cargo is uh, humans in stasis and they're used to breathe creatures and before you know it all hell breaks out and in an unlikely pairing of the science officers Ripley 8 Winona Ryder and the rest of these pirates they're forced together to fight for their survival and escape the ship. Blah, blah, blah. The beginning, the setup of this film, I was actually much more engaged with it than I thought I was going to be. And it was because of all these resonances, right? Yeah. About, I don't know, the ethics of genetic engineering, the overtones of Frankenstein. The first thing we see is a kind of 
alien-type fetus being extracted surgically from out of Ripley 8, isn't it? Yep. Yeah? At bloodied. And then there's also this sort of powerfully filmed image. Then Ripley is, like, sleeping in some kind of plastic mm. cocoon, and she sort of emerges. Yeah, they spend a fair bit of time, actually, letting the camera linger on her, kind of uh, emerge from her little cotton bag. Yeah, so there's there's something that's very much a meditation on the life cycle, what birth means, whether man can control genetics and birth. It's very interesting. And in keeping with what we've said about the previous Alien movies, there is this nefarious interplay of commerce, science, and military here, which is at the expense of all these cogs, these people who are caught in the machine. So it's a really good setup with lots of interesting ethical problems. And I have to say, all the great bits at the beginning have to do with one amazing element of this movie, which is Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, it, it is made particularly special and interesting by Sigourney Weaver, who is completely captivating every time she's on there. Because also, she's she's a very tall woman, you know? She's an Amazon. She's physically quite commanding. And Ripley, uh, although quite ballsy in the previous films, is, when, when resurrected, uh, is res we should say, is resurrected with part of the creature's DNA as well. So she's just stronger. I think what you can find interesting about this is that she genuinely doesn't play the character she played before. She plays something entirely new. She uses her size and her physicality in very interesting ways. She subtly starts to convey, this is not a human. This is a genetically engineered entity. It looks a bit like the Ripley that we know, but it also, through her sort of claw-like hand movements, through her sort of uninflected line readings, her, her learning of new vocab and her kind of just general weird affect. She is non-human and it's a really interesting performance from a very skilled actor and also undeniably funny, I think, at certain points. Yeah, can I say, because this is a Joss Sweden film and it's a Jean-Pierre Genet film, it's not without its moments of humour or kind of like light relief or something. I'm not saying it's a laugh out loud riot. Well, you know, but yeah. you, you get a few chuckles when you make jokes about the cutlery. She's, yeah. she's, she's learning the names of the different cutlery. So should we reenact one line, okay? Yes. I'll be Ripley. <laughs> I'm the scientist holding up different pieces of cutlery or images to see if Ripley remembers what they are. I hold up a fork. Fork. Fuck. I mean, that's comedy gold. Yeah, comedy gold. Comedy gold. But, like, I am not saying it's hilarious, but <laughs> it does have these weird moments. Okay. You know, Howard Hawks said a great movie is uh, three good scenes and no bad scenes. Sadly, I'm not sure this has three good scenes, but it does have one really good scene. What's that? It's the basketball scene. Oh, yeah. That's great. Ripley, for whatever reason, has a basketball court somehow on this ship. She, well, the ship probably has a gym. It's a military ship. When all the military pirates and everybody and the scientists are all getting up with their thing, Ripley 8 is there doing her superhuman Amazon alien-spliced basketball, and she's great. And then the, the space pirates, that's when they first see her and discover her. Yeah, and it? Ron Perlman, being the creepy Dutch that he is, kind of like, you know, gets an eye for her, wants to smell her and stuff. And says, you've got some moves on you, girl. And then she, like, hits him with the basketball, and then the first violence begins to ensue. There's this one amazing uh, moment where she takes the basketball as she walks off at the end of the scene. It's the sort of 
equivalent of a mic drop. And she tosses the basketball backwards over her head and gets uh, a, a swoosh. And and you said that this is actually yeah. Sigourney's basketball skills. On I, I think it's on YouTube. It's but it's also on the DVD extras which I have in this very room, which oh we can watch. Oh my god! And um, so they had a feeling they'd have to use CGI to get it in, you know, to get into the basket. But they said, we'll try a few, we'll try a few, because you, you need to throw it over your head at least. Yeah. And in one of the scenes, because she's going to be able to practice. I mean, she plays basketball quite well in that scene. I'm sure she does. It goes out of frame, which is why people don't think it's real. And then it goes into the basket. And if, if we can watch the, after this, we can watch the unedited version, because Ron Perlman breaks about two seconds after that. It goes in, and you see his face kind of, like, realise what's happened. Not out of fear or confusion, out of, like, woo woo. And then this, and then it ends. Well, so the thing is, if the movie had had more of this lightness of touch throughout, uh, or sort of, I mean, I know Ripley is not a human, right? Well, see, the alien films were always quite bleak. I mean, like they never had a lightness of touch. Well, even irony or anything. Like what I'm saying is, it's it's strange. She's not a human. She is this piece of meat as they a meat byproduct that's what they call her at one point and yet she is the one presence in the whole story in the screen that we as an audience care about it's partially because we have um we have these memories of the human ripley who was a palpitating breathing emotional creature from mm -hmm. the other movies and this she's not or she sort of is right like yeah. she sometimes is and she sometimes isn't yeah. which is either a fascinating philosophical dilemma or is just like a really convenient dramatic trope. Uh, I would go for the latter. Yeah. Like um, when she wants to be like a human, she's a human. Yeah. I, and when she wants to be like an alien, she just acts like an alien. You know, she probably makes the most jokes in it. You know, she pulls yeah. out the tongue and she's like, you know, what tongue? But she, you know, she pulls out the alien's inner mouth at one point and she hands it to Cole and she's like, you know, want a souvenir? She's actually, that's what she says. <laughs> She has the most humor in it, like, even telling people that she's the monster's mother and stuff. It's just that, like, it's in your notes, because uh, listeners, God knows I don't take any notes during the films, where you say the problem with this film is that you don't have anyone to care about. It, no matter how good Sigourney Weaver is, and no matter how captivating, and initially, no matter how interesting the story is, it just descends into a straightforward action film where people are being picked off one by one, and ultimately, you don't give a shit. This is also the problem in Prometheus as well, but we won't go into that. Well, and I think, uh, just to like dig a bit deeper into this why we don't care, Ripley 8 is not a human. And at the beginning, I think it actually is a really bold move to make her so unlikable. Yes, she's funny, but she's crude and violent and coarse and inhuman, and that's great. But then they, they sort of want it both ways, because as the movie goes on, I feel like she then starts helping all the humans for reasons that I don't really understand, right? Like, well, you know, the cop-out is to say that she's, you know, she's developing, she's, she's growing at a, at a much faster rate, and she's developing humanity much faster. She's disassociating herself from the destructive nature of the monster. So, again, that would be a very interesting sort of journey to chart, and, and Sigourney does it okay to the extent that the script allows her to, but she sort of starts to develop a human kind of wisdom, a human kind of empathy, but then she also at times sort of seems to want to regress to being an alien. Like there's that weird moment where she throws herself down into the... The queen! 
She's in pain. So that's what I mean. It's like when she, when they need her to be an alien, she acts like an alien. When they need her to be a human, she acts like a human. It just strikes me as bizarre. Well, I mean, could they not have both? No, I know they could. It just like it she left could. it left me uncaring. Like it's like I was like, well, if I can't care about her. I'm not going to care any of this other rogues gallery of jokers. Yeah. I mean, should we just quickly illuminate the multi-ethnic cast of space pirates? Yeah, they are multi-ethnic. They are. That that was something. Yeah, nice. they're all multi-ethnic and and, and, le- le- and differently of, able, differently yeah. able as yeah. well. So there is that. This is the '90s, so let's give us some credit. You know, no, it's true. The yeah. casting is inclusive. Uh, so there's one actor in it called Raymond Cruz, and Raymond Cruz just plays, you know. Personality-free soldier number four, but he has a, he has a few more lines, and he has a few more biceps. Yeah, and that's the and that was probably the only sexy highlight of the film. But if you Google him now, he just became some kind of like Latino spud pretty quickly after it. And sadly, the the other handsome actor, the guy who played uh, Christy, the black guy yeah. with the with the dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I looked him up, and he uh, has now had several convictions, both for tax fraud and domestic abuse. Well, you know what else happened to Winona Ryder? She stole all that shit out of me. Oh, oh don't remind me, Sean. You've you've uttered you've uttered a word that I feel we've been avoiding, which is my beloved Winona. Your your Sicilian sister. <laughs> oh, that's Patty Lapone. Yes, sorry, Sean. Come on. So. She's my Yiddish sister. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yes. Oh, she's definitely Horowitz. That's right. Yes. That's right. So, so she is in there with the space pirates. They don't seem to like her. She's this girl. I have to say, she looks gorgeous in this film. Yeah, she's super duper cute. There are a few glorious close-ups where you just do remember her beauty, her empathy. How in the best of films, Winona can be a real wonderful audience surrogate. Yeah. And yet in this film, I mean, I can understand why they thought putting her in the midst of all this might be interesting, but they've given her nothing to do. So explain who she is. Okay, so it turns out that Winona Ryder is a android. Um, and I guess all the alien films have featured an android, so I don't know why we weren't surprised, really, that you know one turns up. But she plays this um, recalled model in which they became these like robots designed by robots and they became too too sentient and they 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 burn themselves off from the the server or whatever blah Every, blah. Everything you're already yeah. saying, Sean, it makes no sense to and me. So basically and, like, she's a robot. So she's a rogue <laughs> robot. But this is the thing. So of course we don't know that until very, very late in the yeah. film, right? Yeah. So she's sort of wandering around with the pirates as this sort of waifish girl that everybody sort of makes snide remarks to, either to say she's weak or that they or she's quote severely fuckable. <laughs> yeah. But here we have the second biggest movie star in the film with literally nothing to do. Yeah. She just literally walks around the scenes and, and you're like, wait, why is she on this pirate ship? It's almost as they just put her there for the late in the game, as you said, relatively unsurprising revelation. Yeah. She's a robot. Yeah, well, you know, well, you know, Winona Ryder has said that she felt completely, you know, like a spare prick in this film. Which is, she's she com- said she felt acted off the screen by the aliens. There are some interesting scenes between her and Sigourney, where Sigourney playing a non-human and Winona playing a non-human have this potential moment for bonding, you know? But it's just that you don't, give a shit about any of the other humans who are actually on the spaceship mm-hmm. that I just wanted to say like 
girls, why don't you just fuck off in a space pod? Like, the aliens can't kill you. You're a robot and you're their friend. Let these humans fucking die. Like, that would have been a better movie. And then we could have had, like, you know, Thelma and Louise in space with two, like, meat byproducts. That's great. Yeah. That would have been good. Let's you know? do a spinoff. Well, they, so what you're saying is that, like, before the third act begins, the two of them should realize that they're both non-humans and say, you know, it's it's us against everybody. Yeah. Let's, go, let's, let's get out of here. Let them die. Except the little guy in the wheelchair was nice. I liked him. Yeah, he was fine. I mean, he's okay. That, that's uh, Dominique Pinot, I think, yeah. who yeah. is in uh, Amelie and other, yeah. other Genet films. But, and, and I have to say, like, the conversation you're hearing between me and Sean right now at this moment is coming long after Sean had to explain to me the whole robot plotline because it made no sense to me in real time. Well, see, I don't know if that's just because you don't like the sci-fi genre as much. You well, don't get it. He was like, do you remember in Avatar? I try not to, but yes, okay. go on. Well, since we're on the subject of Sigourney Weaver. Do you remember in Avatar, that part at the beginning? Can I just say, she's bad in that film. Well. She is bad. She's as bad as when on Ryder. She wears a Stanford t-shirt. But so, do you remember that part? Which is also, surely it should have been Yale. Anyway, <laughs> so... There's a part where, at the beginning, she says, Here, the Navi have the Tree of Life, which has 10,000 to the 10,000th power nodes of something or other, and the element unobtainium has to blah, blah, blah. And she gives a long speech, which, like, explains the science. The bit that explains what Winona is doing in the movie is, like, equally as convoluted, but there's no little James Cameron graphic of the Tree of Life to explain it. And she's just going on and on about how thousands of years ago some kind of robots were made to do something and then they were recalled and then she was wandering the space wilderness and now she's gonna connect to the mainframe and she's gonna do well, this and it all goes by in well, about Brian, 30 seconds i get that when i hear it and it's not because i've seen you've it seen many it times. it is because I you've seen it so. many times i really don't yeah. i just think you don't get sci-fi well i was i had to say i was very invested in that moment because i was like now it's gonna finally explain what my beloved winona is doing in this mess and then i was like it's even more of a mess. And if I was Winona, how do you give a super objective to that? Yeah, but you also had to ask me questions about why the aliens were doing certain things or why. Well. I mean, like. But Sean, you have to understand, you're someone who is steeped in the mythology of this entire film. This entire film series. Saga, if you will. Saga. Epic. Gilgamesh. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Gargamel. <laughs> I, okay, I, I'll give a few. I'll give a few moments of praise. The the filming of the kind of underwater sequence. There's a there's a point where they're fleeing from the alien that has escaped and is chasing them on the ship, and they something's been flooded and they all have to go underwater. That was filmed in an exciting way. It was, you know. Sigourney also does a quality Bjork face in that part of the film. I'll explain what I mean, but I just wanted you to think about that for a second. All right. So, Brian, in your notes, it says Bjork face. What do you mean by that? I mean, there's a, the point, is it when the, the female pirate gets eaten by the... Oh, yeah, there's a female pirate, but she has even less to do. She's a nice butt. She has a nice butt, That gets massaged by the handsome... No, she, her feet get massaged. Oh, okay, sorry. That, that guy's quite handsome, the other pirate captain. Anyway, Bjork face, Bjork face. So, Sigourney's watching as the alien kind of devours her. Why not? Yeah, at least kills her in some way or other. And uh, Sigourney kind of looks <laughs> emotional, <laughs> let us say. Um, and, I mean, 
the fact that I felt super queasy all through the second part of the film, like after Sigourney like descends into the pit of the queen alien's egg nest or whatever the fuck it was, I mean, I was glad I hadn't had a full dinner because I was just grossed out. So I suppose that's a kind of accomplishment. Yeah, well, the film's very scatological and I've got a problem with that because in all the alien films, the creatures always look slightly different. But what I find inexcusable for Alien Resurrection is that they honestly make the alien brown. And I don't know which director, I think it was James Cameron or maybe it was the creator, Dan O'Bannon. They said in the fourth film, they're just basically fighting giant turds. <laughs> and it's true because the alien for me, especially, I think Alien 3 is, is the best one in terms of design. Um, I love how sleek it is. But it's always been like jet black, so black it's almost blue kind of thing. Um, the, it's been very silken, very very sex toy like, you know? It's always been quite, you know, quite phallic in a sex toy kind of way. Yeah. Um, but in this film, it's, they're just poo, you know? Well, and she was, she, this was the bit where I was like, Ripley 8, what are you doing? Because it's like, somehow behind her eyes, she still has a call of the alien. So even though they're like, about to escape, aren't they? They're or like this is the moment that they can get into the escape pod and get out. Ripley like throws herself down this hole to like slither around with the queen alien and all of the palpitating mucusy eggs. Yeah. And it's just like luxuriating in this in this royal jelly. And then when it's done, she's over that. Like wh why did she do that and then want to leave it? But like, because she's conflicted. I would understand. She's conflicted. She's torn. Okay, she's going on instinct and on on you know intellect. I mean, I buy this stuff. I'm fine with this. I mean, you have the problem with it. Yeah, because there's no motivation for it. Well, I choose to see a motivation. What, there. So why does she leave in the end? Because she realized she's gonna die. Like oh, that, the newborn creature's gonna eat her. I don't know. The newborn creature likes her. That's the. No, but listen, that's but, no. But, but, that's listen, you're absolutely. We don't wrong. know if the newborn likes it her. Does it does. It her. It caresses her. It feels compelled to kill. Okay. Sean, that is absolutely incorrect the way that the film plays out. And this is why the logic is super confusing. Because the newborn creature does not want to kill her. It deliberately doesn't kill her. It views her as its mother. And then later, when that newborn creature... Uh, the, so the newborn creature kills the... Kills Raven Cruz. Kills the queen mother. Yeah. Right? Queen but mother. The, the, whatever the queen, they... Queen mother. I don't understand. So it, ki it kills Princess Elizabeth. No, I'm just kidding. So it kills um, the, the queen, big, the big frickin' alien. Yeah, the alien queen. Right. Yeah. And then Sigourney is able to like talk to it, caress it, it licks her. It never makes any attempt to kill her.
I just don't think sci-fi is your thing. I'm just saying, like, when you go see a sci-fi film, you buy what's happening, even if it's ridiculous, okay? And, and, and I bought what's happening in this film. So what happens there? It recognizes Ripley as its mother, but it literally killed its own mother moments before that. Right, but moments before that, Ripley jumped into the lap of its mother. Yeah, she was called by instinct. And then when instinct is no longer useful to Joss Whedon, he decides that it doesn't have any control over her. That is what I'm saying. Whatever, whatever. Okay, fine. Know, if you care that much about it, I do care because you're talking to me like I'm some kind of moron who's not understanding the fact that they just made a convenient plot twist for no fucking reason. Okay, they gave. There is nothing that I'm not understanding. I'm just saying that it doesn't make any goddamn sense. This is not. No, this is this is great. Uh, honestly, this is one of our best discussions ever. Uh, Okay, anyway, so the film ends, okay, now how does it end, Brian? It ends landing on the planet Earth. So, uh, Winona and Ripley 8. I mean, I have to actually, I have to admit, that was another good bit of it. So, they, who else is with them? There's a couple of the pirates that end up with them. The... Yeah, there's uh, Ron Perlman, there's Bertolt Brecht. Oh yeah, we haven't even mentioned Bertolt Brecht. Oh. Yes. Yes, uh, Weimar-era playwright Bertolt Brecht somehow made it into this film. <laughs> it's Leyland Orser, who you may, uh, listeners, remember from the lust killing in the film Seven. Theatrical fans may notice his resemblance to the aforementioned Mr. Brecht. But um, that's another thing I didn't understand. So they know he has an alien inside of him. Yeah, but they say that the doctor can surgically remove it when they get there. But then the doctor gets killed and they say, we'll just freeze it. But ultimately, we're all glad he's dead because otherwise, otherwise we'd be literally bringing to Earth the host, you know? Yeah, I know. Then again, actually, the thing is, if, if you know, you, so you remember the thing is, if an alien is loose by itself, it, it, all it can do is kill. Unless there's a queen making the face huggers, they can't do anything. You know? Okay, okay. So think of it that way. So that was, that was the plot of Alien 3, which was, there's one queen, I never mind. Okay. <laughs> so the thing is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, Sean. Podcast extra, everybody. So the thing is, they get into this escape pod. It's Ripley 8, Winona's robot girl. Call. Call, yeah. And then you know, a handful of the pirates who are still alive. But also this weird humanoid alien that looks sort of like, um, that looks sort of like Skeletor from He-Man. And it has a little nose. Yeah, is, is, is also on board. And so Ripley and Winona go off into like the airlock or whatever it is on the, on the pod. And they, they contrive to kill this humanoid alien. Basically, they use the the acid blood from the alien. Right? They use it from Sigourney's own hand. Sigourney's own hand, her blood, yeah. which has the alien acid, yeah. to burn a hole through the the window, and then the alien is sucked out of the window. Now, conveniently, uh, Winona and Sigourney hold on to uh, metal rods, which prevents them from getting sucked out of the window. But the alien, for some reason, isn't smart enough because to know that it can hold on to a metal It's rod. pulled from behind. That's why. You know it's what? pulled from For, behind. You'll find in physics that force doesn't apply differently whether you're from behind no, or No, but it didn't. It was caught by surprise, okay? Okay. It was caught by surprise by its, by its intestines, okay? Like, come on. Can we just, can we just let it die you know, with dignity, please? But, it certainly doesn't die with dignity. It gets like sucked like a blender, including its skull. Uh, 
Um, I have to say, at the end of this movie, do you remember? I, I couldn't sleep, and I kept saying to you, Sean, I keep thinking about death. <laughs> <laughs> this movie had so many internal organs malfunctioning and bursting and splitting. I just, I think my mortality seemed to be like uh, right around the corner. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Sean, you have now subjected yourself to alien resurrection again. Do you feel any any the wiser for it? Well, I mean, I know I defended the plot there an awful lot. And the sad thing is, is that Alien Resurrection, I believe, wasn't just a money-making exercise. I, I, I don't think it was. It's an ambitious... It's an ambitious project. Yeah. It just doesn't work, and it's really unfortunate that it doesn't. Um, now, Sean, you've said to me repeatedly, Brian, you just don't like sci-fi. There are sort of two different kinds of sci-fi, wouldn't you say? This well, that's is... very broad speaking, but yes, go on. Well, there's the kind of sci-fi is about other worlds that are scary, threatening, uh, where the aliens must be killed, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And are gonna and are gonna you know incinerate us, eat us, infect enslave us, us, enslave us, infect us, and basically it's the militaristic depiction of space, right? Yeah. And then there's the sci-fi of wonder, which I might call the religious depiction of space. Yeah, space is profound. I think it's I think it's no surprise which one I'm more in tune with. Oh, the militaristic one, of course. Being, <laughs> being from the USA. Give me E.T. any day. E.T. So that segues quite nicely into our next film. Exactly, be. because we are actually going to uh, return with another science fiction film in an incredibly different register, uh, although with another Yale graduate at the heart. Who are we talking about, Sean? We're talking about the film Contact starring the indomitable Jodie Foster. Yes. This uh, powerful presence in 90s cinema, one of the most strong-willed and independent females of the decade, we have yet to look at in any of our films. So um, It was either this or Nell. <laughs> well, I put, in, I put in a suggestion for Little Man Tate, but that was laughed off of the list. I don't know why. It also has Diane Weist. But maybe, maybe listeners, if you want to hear us talk about Little Man Tate, Please, let's have a write-in campaign. But for the moment, our next film in two weeks' time is going to be Contact. Uh, If you want to make contact with either of us, Sean, here at Broad Appeal, how should people do that? Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Broad Appeal Pod, our website, broadappealpod.com. And we have individual Twitters. I'm at Sean McGovern X, and Brian is at B.A. Mullen Speaks. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And while you are there, please leave us a rating and review. We love it. It boosts our ego when we're feeling down, and it also helps other people to discover the show. It does, doesn't it? Do you have any other announcements, Sean? Hopefully you've been sick, I've been sick. And hopefully we'll both be healthy. Hopefully we'll be in the, in the best of health, uninfected by alien facehuggers the next time we return to travel into the cosmos. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in space.